This is a hat trick podcast. Oh, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Do you remember your sex education? Was it helpful to you? Was it filled with scientific information rather than real, practical advice? I'm Diggory Waite, and this is The Real Sex Education. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest. We'll impart our own sex wisdom, ask our own sex questions, and we'll go over all the things they don't teach you in school. To bring this all together, though, we'll need an expert. A sexpert, if you will. But the only sex and relationship therapist I know is my mum. Hello, mum. Hello, Diggs. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Thaddeus Burchard. It gives me an opportunity to put into words many years of study and practice. We talk about some of the problems with internet sex and some of the pros. It has made sex work safer because you can do it from home. You can keep yourself anonymous and you can make quite a lot of money on it. And we hear about some niche online kinks. Uh, I had a patient who used to pay for a webcam in a woman's house and all she was doing was ironing (laughs) Hello and welcome to The Real Sex Education. I'm Diggory Waite and as ever I'm joined by accredited sex and relationship therapist Kate Campbell. Hello mum. Hello Diggs. Every week mum and I give sex and relationships a good going over with a guest and today we're very glad to be joined by one of mum's colleagues and contemporaries, another sex therapist, founder of the Association for the Treatment of Sexual Addiction and Compulsivity. We chat to Dr Thaddeus Burchard. Mum, Who is Thaddeus and what does he do? Well, he is a pretty cool guy, actually. He's done so much over the years. He started off as a minister, religious Mm. minister, and then he went into psychotherapy, sex therapy, and he founded the Marylebone Centre for Psychological Therapies, which works with couples and individuals with all sorts of relationship and sexual problems, but specifically sexual addiction and he set up the first training in sexual addiction in the UK he's just done so much and I'm so excited that we got him on the pod it's amazing oh that's so great I, okay so so he, his thing is is sex addiction and it's one of his things yeah one of, of his course, big things, of course. Yeah. But what, and one of the big things we spoke to him about today. So, just so the listeners at home are well prepped and prepared, mm. what is sex addiction? Well, it's controversial. So, a lot of people think it doesn't exist. Right. Because it's a, a process addiction rather than a physical one. So, people will accept that things like alcohol and drugs can be addictive but not mm. so much that behaviors can but then there are things like gambling which is addictive and gaming mm. yeah don't know it. <laughs> yeah i think most people would say that if you find that you are compelled to do something repeatedly and that you're thinking about it all the time and it's interfering with your everyday life and that you're becoming secretive mm. or really changing your behavior in order to keep on doing this thing. And if doing it makes you feel ashamed so that you then need to do it again, that sounds very much 
like an addiction or, or it doesn't really matter what you call it. it you could call it just compulsive behavior or dependency mm. but it's affecting a lot of people at the moment mm. whatever you call it so why is that controversial um so some people think that people call some behaviors sexual addiction because they disapprove of the behavior but this isn't about judgment this is about the effect on somebody's life and the way they use sex to moderate their mood right and someone who's sex addicted what might that look like how might that manifest itself so for instance you might have somebody who is finding less and less time for work who says they have to stay late at work or they have to give up weekends they can't spend time with the family and maybe spending a lot of money and can't account for it so they would be taking opportunities to follow up their addiction, which might mean spending all the time on their phone looking at porn, or it might mean going and meeting sex workers or being involved with cyber sex or could be anything, possibly a combination mm. of things. Mm. The point is that they'd be secretive about it. They quite often would make partners feel that they were mad and deny everything that they were doing. People tend to do addictive behaviours or use addictive behaviours to make themselves feel better. So some people do it when they're bored, because mm. when you're bored and there's nothing going on, it's quite common to feel quite anxious, to start thinking about the things you don't want to think about. So you would go you and... quickly think, well, how can I get to a completely opposite extreme? Yeah. Which is sex. Exactly. And so many people have been told sex is really good for you. It's a good stress reliever, which it is. When mm. you think about it, when you orgasm, your body goes back to normal after that, doesn't it? So if you were feeling really anxious beforehand and stressed... It resets you. Yeah, yeah. But for people who are addicted, it's not the orgasm they're looking for because then everything stops. They go into a sort of little bubble sometimes and really don't notice time passing and are just in this little world of their own, mm. looking for increasingly different and exotic images, if it's porn or, or something like that, or, or behaviours, because they become tolerant to behaviours so quickly, which is why a lot of people develop sexual difficulties and problems with having sex with a human. Well, all fascinating stuff. And we'll speak to Thaddeus more about that in just a minute. But before, we just wanted to remind you listeners that we take questions for mum from you about sex and relationships. You can send those questions in to podcasts at hatchet.com or on Twitter using the hashtag hashtag realsexedu. At the end of the episode, I'll put those queries to mum. And today we'll have a couple of those. But before we get to them, we spoke to Dr. Thaddeus Burchard. And I began by asking him what his sex education was like. It wasn't. <laughs> there was none, absolutely none. Mm. Uh, there was some at home, uh, which was set too early to understand. And so I had to navigate the whole business, the whole transition uh, from being a child to an adolescent to an adult entirely on my own without any input from anybody. So school, nothing from school? Nothing at school at all around sexuality mm. and nothing really around the nature of relationships. And I think it's important that there is uh, quite a lot of input on the nature of relationships and because of the, the way in which internet pornography can distort relationships mm. as well as it can distort uh, sexual templates. Yes, I mean, we're laying great groundwork <laughs> here for... I'm sure what we'll get onto onto later because, uh, I mean, why don't we dive straight into it? You're the founder of the Association for the Treatment of Sexual Addiction and Compulsivity. And maybe if we move on from your early sex education a little bit, 
Can you explain to listeners what you do? Yeah, I mean, uh, people come to me because their lives have become unmanageable mm. uh, or they're suffering real and serious harmful consequences. Not everyone. Um, I sometimes see people for whom their biological sexual drive uh, contradicts, for example, their religious values. Mm. And that's a problem for them. I also see people for whom their sexual drive, biological, and if I may say so, God-given, is also uh, contradicting, for example, other deeply held values, for example, fidelity. Mm. So how would you say people get involved in porn becoming a problem? Well, it's so available. Everyone uses a computer and it only takes a couple of seconds to transport yourself into a world of delight. Mm. And one of the aspects of all of this, which people don't seem to understand, and I've never seen it really spoken about or written much about anyway, is that arousal chemistry in the brain shuts down the cognitive part of the brain. Mm. And the cognitive part of the brain makes executive decisions. It's not that you lose your moral compass, you can't access it. And this is what happened to Bill Clinton, of course, mm. and Monica Lewinsky. The better example, or uh, the more tragic example, uh, happened in the 70s. There was a man called Stephen Green, I think it was, who was the director of public prosecution. Uh, he was arrested curb crawling at King's Cross. Wow. Well, you know, what is the director of public prosecution doing curb crawling? Uh, you know, you would think that any any sensible man would think, well, that's just rather dangerous. Uh, but the arousal chemistry shut that part of his brain down. And with the arousal chemistry, you can't think about consequences. And so he eventually, uh, he quite quickly lost his job, lost his ability to practice law, and his wife committed suicide. Gosh. You know, so th this was a tragedy. Mm. There's a very interesting story told in a book about a man who pulls up next to a woman in a car, and she looks at him, and he looks at her, and they go to the next traffic light, and he looks at her, and she looks at him. And eventually she pulls into a, a pub, kind of a pub place, and he pulls alongside of her, and then he realizes uh, that uh, it's a police station. Mm. Oh. So you can see how distorted this can be. One thing I will pick up on, though, is maybe people might be listening to this and thinking, okay, so you have these sexual thoughts and the cognitive part of your brain, you can't access it for a moment. Yeah. Does that excuse yeah. you of what happens afterwards? Or is there a way I to... I think it, it doesn't excuse, it explains. Right. But is there a way then to curtail that? I mean, because it explains it, but then that means that the horrific thing still happens. Yeah, yeah. The um, treatment program that we run, one of the things that we look at is the neuroscience. That's how we're different, for example, from the 12-step programs like Sex Addicts Anonymous. We take the neuroscience quite seriously. And there are reasons in the neuroscience which cause people to repeat the behavior. But Every addictive process has a cycle. So it's a series of feelings, decisions, and thoughts. And the, the way in which you deal with it is to look at the precursors. And so, for example, oh, I'm feeling lonely. That's right. Loneliness is a trigger for my addictive process. Uh, I need to deal with it some other way. So that's the case for the people who say they sort of wake up in Soho uh, searching for a sex worker or something, you know, there has to have been a process to have got... Well, I mean, the, the whole point of talking about uh, people who say they find themselves in Soho, they miss the fact that they've made a series of decisions and had a series of feelings and a series of thoughts. 
And so you don't find yourself in Soho. It might feel like that because of the arousal chemistry overwhelming the brain. But actually, it involves a series of thoughts, feelings, decisions, and actions to get to Soho. And if you can, if you can work out the steps involved, you can then create uh, exit strategies. And of course, the best place to create the exit strategy would be before you actually get on the bus. Mm. Because once you get on the bus, the arousal chemistry is increasing. And so it's much better and much more effective to catch it at the precursor state. I'm bored. Hmm. I'll go to Soho. Or as I'm bored, hmm, what else could I do? Oh, I know I could do a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. Or I could go for a run. Or I could ring Joe Bloggs. Yeah. You know, there, there are other ways of dealing with boredom rather than disappearing into sexual either fantasy or reality. Mm. I was going to suggest hiding your Oyster card as well. Would that? Or that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might also do. You would spend the next half hour looking for it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. And the, and the arousal would just build again. Yeah, exactly. That's why it wouldn't oh, work. No. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but addiction, let's call it that for the moment. Addiction really is, uh, comes from the Latin atasare, which means to be taken over by something more powerful than oneself. And that's exactly what happens in the process. The important thing is to be able to make decisions when you recognize you're in a precursor mm. state. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Some of the people I've worked with, when you talk about loss of cognitive function, they find themselves in a situation where they're going to be away from home. Yeah. And automatically, automatically start looking for sex workers or some sort mm -hmm. of sexual opportunity and have a really yeah. strong sense of entitlement. It's really extraordinary. Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, I've had men who only act out, uh, which is the term that I use, only act out on business trips. And of course, on a business trip, if you're alone in a hotel room at 11 o'clock at night, that can be pretty lonely. Mm. And so you divert away from that temporarily mm. uh, by paying someone to come up to your room. And so how do you go about treating people? Is it sort of intense therapy? That No, the program yeah. that we use is a very carefully structured program of behavioral change. I start off with taking the history because it's important for the person to recognize that they aren't actually responsible for their template, but they are responsible what they do about it. Mm. And that creates some relief uh, because it can reduce the amount of shame that people feel. The template you mentioned there, is that their, that's their sexual script or their sexual template? Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, we all have a sexual script, which indicates what we prefer and what we don't prefer, what we like, what really is powerful for us and what isn't. And for one person, a erotic high point can be for another person an absolute turnoff, mm -hmm. which happens in relationships often. One person can be dead keen on, I don't know, some aspect of sexual behavior, and it represents, say, the high point of their erotic response. But for the other person, it can be really quite horrific mm. because both responses are set up kind of in, let's say, the out-of-awareness place. Disgust is one of the earliest things that we learn. Uh, you know, don't put that in your mouth when you're two years old or 18 months. And so the, what becomes disgusting is built into our system. And so when you get a couple where one person has a, a sexual high point, you know, which matches the other person's disgust high point, that represents a, a problem, which, of course, can be resolved by negotiation. And that's the sexual script or, or template. And from there? We do things step by step. 
we do start off with something called a formulation, which is a way of outlining the internal psychic world of the individual. We then move on to values clarification, where we ask people to work out or to identify their five most important values and then work out how their sexual behavior either confirms those values or contradicts them. Well, it almost always contradicts them. We have a whole session on harmful consequences because people don't actually sit down and think about the harmful consequences of the behavior. And the harmful consequences can be financial. I had two men in a group some years ago that has spent over a million and a half pounds on sex workers. You know, and that's not, that, that, that wasn't just the payment. Uh, that was flying first class to the Maldives and, and you know, champagne <laughs> wow. and all of that. But, you know, I think any right-thinking person would regard that as, I mean, no matter how rich you are, how um, uh, sensible is that? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We've mentioned porn a few times. I want to sort of contextualize it because you have obviously years, bags of experience on this. So, sexual addiction from when you founded the uh, Association for the Treatment of Sexual Addiction and Compulsivity, opposed to now? What are the differences? What's changed since you started working with us? Well, it's, it's really more and more. Uh, it's the instantaneous nature of the access of images. Mm-hmm. And there is some research which indicates that oxytocin also increases. This is the brain chemistry of connection or the brain chemistry of nurture. Increases looking at pornography, which would cause one mm-hmm. to kind of biochemically bond with the screen. Mm. The, the the feature in male sexuality, which is so important to understand, is vasopressin, mm. which is a brain chemical that elevates in, in men when they're being sexual, which is the brain chemistry of persistence and focus. In women, oxytocin mm. increases, but it's not so in men, it's persistence and focus. But, you know, you can see why vasopressin makes people use more and more 
internet porn because you're already lost in a world and excited by the click and what's going to come up next. Hours can pass. And if you're really concentrating because of the hormone, then even more hours can pass. And people yeah. seem to lose huge chunks of their life and it gets in the yeah. way of work and families and yeah. everything. I got a man who uh, will stay on the internet till five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, And one of the features of, uh, let's say, internet pornography is that the reward is delivered on a variable schedule. Mm. In other words, uh, if you get hit every fourth picture, the difference is you can't predict when you're going to get the hit. And that has the same features as a slot machine. Yeah, And we know how people can get obsessed with slot machines. Uh, and so I think that is an important feature in trying to understand the whole combination. We talked about this recently on an episode with um, actor Tiger Drew Honey about porn being a sex educator for a lot of people these days. And, you know, you said that you had no sex education. And for a lot of people these days, they have some sex education at school. Maybe their parents might be a bit more used to talking about it, but a big educator for them is porn. Is that something that you've observed or one of the, yeah, the yeah. things going on with porn at the moment? I, I observe it in many people that I've seen. Mm. The problem about sex education on pornography is distorted. It's a distorted mm. perception of sexuality. I think something like 78% of female porn actresses have breast enhancements. And the average erect male penis in the States is five and a half inches. The average porn store is eight inches. And of course, most real women are not interested in having lots and lots of casual sex, most, or to have every orifice filled at the same time, which is very distorting. And so I think internet pornography has the capacity to distort the individual template. You can have a template which is, say, predominantly heterosexual, but a sliver of BDSM in it. But you can enlarge the BDSM section by looking at BDSM pornography. Now, whether that's a distortion or just an adjustment, of course, is another question, because BDSM is very widely practiced in the population. I think it's something like 7%. This has been studied in the States and in Australia, and the figures are about the same. That's so interesting. So so BDSM practices, what does that look like for the wider population? Well, largely, the ones that I see are largely around tying up or being tied mm. up, which is around control, loss of control, control, loss of control. If you're tied up, you lose control. If you're tying up, you are dominant. And so people sometimes shift back and forth. So that's quite a common one. And there is something quite comforting about being tied up mm. in the sense that it resembles swaddling and infants are swaddled. And so there is something quite comforting about that. The other one that's fairly common is spanking, either receiving or giving spanking. But once again, that's around dominance and submission. Mm. And the stuff in porn takes that to a next level. Yeah, because you can access anything which is in your sexual template. And I think your sexual template can be expanded or changed by continually accessing what you could describe mostly as minority interest, a minority interest for you. One of the things about the internet, it has made sex work safer because you can do it from home. You can keep yourself anonymous and you can make quite a lot of money on it. That's one of the advantages, I think, of, let's say, internet sex work. I was speaking about this just the other day with a friend. I've seen all those Netflix documentaries of, you know, when the camera turns off on porn. You see some of the 
horrible situations and the, the, all the bad bits of the industry and how bad porn can be. However, there's websites like OnlyFans, which you guys may have heard of, which is websites where people, regular people, will just upload pictures of themselves and you charge you and you pay for them and you pay regular amounts for them. And it's all down to the individual. They take the pictures of themselves. They do what's comfortable for them. They charge a price that's good for them. It kind of is all above board. There's no porn producer or cameraman yeah, or director yeah, going, yeah. right, now you've got to do this. Now you've got to do that. I'm going to pay the male actor this much and only you this much or vice versa. So it does feel, like you say, a lot safer and a lot better for the individual. And it feels hard to, so if you were going to watch porn, the most ethical way at the moment might be these avenues. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I had a patient who, who used to uh, have a used to pay for a webcam in a woman's house, and all she was doing was ironing, and she would use a hula hoop, <laughs> yeah. and and paying money to see a woman using a hula hoop does seem yeah. stretches my imagination overly. I've heard the same thing. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, there's something called stamp porn. Where And I have to obviously preface this by saying, you know, we're not here to kink shame. It's just videos of people stamping on things with their feet. And that's all they have to do. And people pay a lot of money just to see them. So there's no face involved. There's no necessarily any like sexual body part shown other than a bit of ankle and foot stamping on fruit, toy, cars, you know, things like that. Lego. Yeah, Lego. Yeah, that might hurt. I mean, you might, you might, you might charge extra for that. Um, well, that's around dominance, exactly. You know, exactly. and 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 the person watching it identifies with the stamper. Oh, really? Because I would have thought they wanted to be the ones being stamped on. Well, I didn't, so they identify. They identify with the with the tomato or. It's kind of hard to truck. It's kind of hard to identify with a piece of Lego. <laughs> I think they identify with the stamper. I think the whole foot thing is enormously interesting. Mm. When you consider the binding of feet in China in the 19th century, mm. some people do have a particular interest in feet. I sometimes say that it's possible to tell whether a woman is sexually available by the kind of shoes she's wearing. Oh, That's a kind of lighthearted comment. But nevertheless, it resonates. Thaddeus, I'm wearing Uggs. What does it mean? You're wearing what? <laughs> Big furry boots. It, me- yeah. it means that you're not sexually available. All right. Okay. <laughs> what about? I mean, I, I'm just in my white socks. What does that mean? <laughs> it, it, well, it, 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 <laughs> I wish, I wish people were going to see your face. Then, <laughs> oh my god! I think we know the answer. Dread to we? think. Whites are the color of purity, of course. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, not very pure over here. <laughs> If we talk about shame for a minute, Mm. there's something called the shame compass. We do four things with shame. We hide, because the word shame comes from the word skem, which is an Indo-European word meaning uh, to hide. Uh, We avoid, so we get drunk, uh, so that we can escape shame, except the next morning we feel even more shame. Uh, We can blame self, which most of the people that I see operate largely from the blame self point of the compass. But then there's the blame other people. And the blame other people are evacuating or emptying their shame by making someone else shameful. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how the popular press works. You know, I'm not as bad as X because he did Y. So it's a mm-hmm. movement to shame off of self onto somebody else. And I often see that in couples that I work with. The man has done something that's deemed to be shameful. And the wife takes up the thread because shame is contagious. If one person is doing something shameful, 
people around him also feel a sense of shame. And she evacuates her shame by saying, you're the problem and you're the one that needs to get fixed. And I have never found in any couple relationship I've worked with that one person is the problem. In the relationships that I work with, both people contribute to the functionality and the dysfunctionality of the relationship. Mm. That's so interesting. I mean, mum downstairs in her office has a whiteboard up with the compass of shame on it. And so often (laughs) when we have these conversations... It always comes down to that. You know, shame is so often the root of a lot of yeah, this. Yeah, and yeah. is that shame coming back for people that makes them want to use the compass of shame as a way of managing their shame? And that hiding or avoiding might involve using porn as well as yeah. alcohol or other yeah, substances. Yeah, yeah, so right. you can see how people get into it. Yeah. Then the behaviour shames them. And so they go back into it again and again. Yeah, You kind of get a descending spiral. I'm ashamed, I act out to avoid feeling the shame, and then afterward I feel more shame, which causes me to act out even more. And so it it becomes a cycle. Yeah. Can I just ask you, while I've got you, what's your view about couples where sexual dependency or some sexual sort of misbehaviour has been disclosed? What's your view about telling your partner everything? Because that seems to be very popular with some therapists. and Well, yes, I know. I know. And I have, I've read that and I have done it. I have mixed feelings about it. I did it this disclosure session with one couple. I found it so painful that it seemed to me to be cruel. Mm. And so I've been very reluctant to pursue that. I know the American literature says it's wonderful. The American literature does, yeah. And of course, you can have a disclosure session, but... You don't ever have any way of knowing whether it's a full disclosure. No. And, so, it, and, if you're, and it often yeah. isn't, is it? It often still well, more drips out. Quite, quite. Uh, when I've prepared disclosure sessions, the woman often wants to know extraordinary detail. Mm. And why would you want to know what she was wearing or, mm. or what her nationality was? And a colleague of mine calls it shopping for pain. Uh, yes. There is, you know, yeah. 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 It, it and once like you've heard that. something, you can't unhear it again. Yeah, that's I, right. I, that's I right. hate it. I think it's so damaging. And mm, and yeah. I don't I've never understood the point of it because when you spill the beans, yeah, the yeah. partner never believes it anyway. Or yeah, just keeps yeah. on wanting more and more and more and more and more. Yeah, and I've heard yeah, of people exactly. making things up just to yeah. satisfy the demand. Yeah. yeah. Thaddeus, at the end of each episode, we ask our lovely guests, how was it for you? Was it good for you too? Those sorts of questions. Um, Have you enjoyed the last hour or so? I have enjoyed it. It gives me (laughs) an opportunity to uh, put into words many years of study and practice. And that kind of reinforces a sense of professionalism. We are talking about something that I actually know about. Mm. Mm. And you certainly and, do. You yeah. know so yeah, much. Yeah. You are Mr. Yeah. Mr. Sex Addiction. Um. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, and so it also, therefore, it kind of builds up my sense of well-being. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, that's nice. It's been brilliant to have you. So interesting and so important. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Take good care. Bye. Bye. It's the mailbag. Thank you, queries. Two podcasts at hatch.com. It's the mailbag. Send Kate the queries. Podcast at hatch with two C's. Hello there. I have a query for Kate. I would like to know when the real sex education mailbag starts. The real sex education.
education mailbag starts right now. Thank you. Thank you so much to Thaddeus for coming on the show. Absolutely fascinating. It was so interesting, wasn't it? What an opportunity. Mm. It was great. Yeah, excellent. Right, Mum, it's time to open our mailbox and take a look to see what sex and relationship questions the people have put to you this week. The first question comes from Julian, who says, My partner found me using porn and is really angry about it. I've said it's just what all guys do, but she says she wants me to give it up. I'm not going to, and I feel this is 100% unreasonable. Mm. So I wonder why. Certainly couples masturbate and that should be fine. But I wonder if his partner feels that the porn is affecting their relationship. Mm. Um, Sometimes, as Dr. Burchard made clear, sometimes using a lot of porn can affect coupled sex and possibly the partner feels that the obsession with porn, if that's what it is, is taking time away from the family or her yeah and maybe she's feeling that she's a bit neglected could it also be that she's comparing herself to what he's potentially seeing on the screen i think some people feel they can't compete with with the porn stars Mm. which is true absolutely because a lot of them have had body enhancements and things and for most of the time it isn't necessary to compete there is no competition it's it is just fantasy Mm. for people who use porn a lot though they get used to the larger than life images they see Mm. and they are only interested in those and having sex with a real person is stops being arousing and they need much more excitement than that what if they just don't like masturbation in general if it's just a matter of somebody being upset about their partner masturbating then that's something that maybe they can discuss and come to terms with but it does become a problem when it starts to interfere with sex. I mean, mm. apart from anything else, if somebody is masturbating and climaxing a lot, that makes them less available for sex with their partner anyway, because they may find it difficult to get an erection very soon afterwards. So there's that to and consider that, yeah. as well. And their sex drive might be lower. And their sex drive might be lower, yes. There's that too. So, so I think what we're saying is assess which of these it is. Is it that sense of competition, whether you think, oh, you know, I'm worried about what they're watching and whether I'm the same as that, or whether it's on the other end where it's like they're watching it a lot, it's affecting our sex life, it's affecting their everyday life, where it is on the scale between that and act appropriate. Yeah, the thing about this particular message is that the sender sounds quite belligerent about this. I'm not going to stop. This is what I'm doing. And I wonder if he's hoping that we'll say, yeah, right, because we're pro-sex. So we'll say, yes, of course you should do whatever you fancy. Mm. And actually I'm thinking, "Mm, could you stop if you wanted to? Yeah, it sounds they're very far down on one end of the scale here. They're like, Mm. nope, it's 100% unreasonable to expect me to stop. I'm never going to give up. Yeah, I mean, I think... Couples generally do masturbate and that's not really the issue. The issue is anything that gets in the way. And I mean, it could be anything, you know, this isn't a thing about porn or sex. You know, if if you were playing golf all the time, it would get in the way with the relationship and then somebody might object. And I think somebody who's so determined not to change, you have to wonder what's going on there, whether they really would ever want to change or whether they see this as a problem, whereas their partner does, and how that's making the partner feel and how very affected the relationship might be. Mm, Indeed. 
Uh, right, the next question is from Anonymous, who asks, Dear Kate and Diggory, I really care about my body and I like going to the gym. My girlfriend has been complaining that I go to the gym too often and wants me to not go as much as she thinks it affects me and has affected our sex life. I've been going less hard for the last few months, but my sex drive has only gone down. She said it was low before, but now it's really bad. Any help getting it back? Oh, I wonder if you've been taking steroids. Um, it's interesting. You You say that there was a problem with the relationship before you stopped going hard, as you call it, at mm. the at Yeah, the gym. I couldn't tell whether less hard was less hard, you know, penis or less hard in the gym. But I, I thought you meant less hard in the gym. I agree. But, but taking anabolic steroids to bodybuild, which some people do, can make you more aggressive and irritable because they're full of testosterone, the male hormone, mm. which helps to build muscle, obviously. But it can also make you aggressive, can make you irritable, can cause all sorts of physical problems, like, you know, difficulty sleeping, acne, high blood pressure, things like that. And also, one of the really interesting things about it is that it can continue to cause problems even after you stop. The longer you use it, the more difficulty you might experience. And a particular difficulty is loss of libido and sometimes erectile dysfunction. And there's quite a bit of evidence that your sex drive disappears the more steroids you take. And actually, your testicles can become smaller as well. Mm. And your own body starts to cease making testosterone because you're taking so much of it, which mm. can cause all sorts of problems. I mean, people's hair falls out and all sorts of things. And it's not a sensible thing to do. But lots of people do it and they think that when they stop, they can just stop and there won't be any consequences. But sometimes they can continue and they particularly have an effect on relationships and sex. What should they do if, if, it ha if it is the steroids thing? What should they do? I would talk to your GP as soon as possible mm. and get them to arrange a suitable programme. It may be that you need to come off the steroids more gradually or it may be that you need some sort of replacement therapy. I don't know. Mm. Um, mm. I think you need to go and see somebody and find out what's the best thing to do. If it isn't steroids, what should this chap do? Um if it isn't steroids, then I would think about sex therapy mm. because he's described a problem with the relationship and a problem with their sex life. So it sounds like a really good way of fixing things up again. Mm. And reconnecting them. And reconnecting them, yeah. And rediscovering um, his sexuality and getting that libido back up. Absolutely. I mean, assuming he wants his libido to be back up, I mean, it might be that he's quite happy with his sex life the way it is and it's his partner who's annoyed. But um, That is the way that the question has been framed. Hmm. Hmm. So, well, that's something they can work out in sex therapy, am so I right? So that's something to think about as well, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all we have time for today. A huge thank you to Dr. Thaddeus Burchard for finding the time to speak to us about all things sex addiction. Thank you as ever to Kate Campbell for being our fantastic resident sex and relationships expert. Thanks, Mum. Thank you, Diggs. And thank you for listening. See you next episode for some more real sex education. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Real Sex Education, which is hosted by Diggory Waite and Kate Campbell. The show is produced by Diggory Waite. And the executive producer is Andy Goddard. The Real Sex Education is a Hattrick podcast.
This podcast is based on the real-life relationship between Diggory Waite and his mother, accredited sex therapist Kate Campbell. The show is therefore inspired by, but otherwise unrelated to, the TV show Sex and Education. But yes, Diggory does wish his mother was played by Gillian Anderson. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 